Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome in to the Jeff Andreas Show. Thanks so much for tuning in here with me today. It is Monday, May the 11th. Hope you had a good weekend, a good Mother's Day. Got a good show lined up for you here in a little bit. I'll be joined by my usual Monday guest, Acumen Law's Kyla Lee. We're going to be talking a little bit about what the rights are of people who may have a fear about going back to work when the economy inevitably does start to resume, right? We got that uh, phase-in plan that the province announced last week about looking at phase two, and that's going to kind of start to kick into effect after the May long weekend. Well, I'm sure not everyone's going to feel totally comfortable just heading back to the office and pretending like nothing happened. I mean, I guess that's not totally going to be the case, but... Either way, there's probably some concerned people. So we'll talk about that a little bit. And also, what will the demand be for free legal advice when courts do get moving? So that'll be coming up in just a little bit. And to end off today's show, I'm going to be talking with the Business Council of BC's Chief Economist, Ken Peacock. We're going to discuss job numbers after last week's announcement that the province lost 264,000 jobs in the month of March. But to begin today's show, I am joined by BDO Senior Vice President Donna Mahalshan. Donna, thanks so much for taking the time. Well, thanks for having me. All right, so unemployment in BC hit 11.5% last month. That was up from 7.2% in March. Uh, you know, I just wanted to start by asking about, you know, the, the work that you do. Have you seen that? Has that been reflected in the services that you provide at BDO so far? In our, in our work? We saw it certainly up until the crisis hit. The, as you see, the insolvency numbers have really taken off mm-hmm. in Canada like over the past year up until February. But then it very much slowed down, I think, when the crisis first hit. And that made total sense to me because I think people are sitting at home uncertain. Nobody knew, do I have a job? Am I going back? Is there money coming in? How can I worry about a debt solution if I don't even know where income's coming or if I can put food on the table? We have seen an uptake start over the last couple of weeks as things have settled down, and I think people have some, there's some income coming in now. Uh, I, I, it's interesting, I was looking at the website for the Canadian Emergency Response Benefit this mm-hmm. morning. 11 million people in Canada have applied, and they've paid out $30 billion already. Wow. So... But there's money out in the system, so there is cash flowing and and money moving forward. So uh, as to how it will translate into numbers in in insolvencies, I think that's going to be a given, Uh, but timing's the question. Yeah, and and so you talked a little bit about just that that February period, right? The 12-month period ending this past February where insolvency filings increased by 10.7%. That was before COVID-19. I guess, would we expect things to get worse coming out of this pandemic? I would think they would, but, uh, you know, is that something that is, is fair to assume? I think so. I don't. I don't think there's any question that's going to happen. I, we had been predicting it all along, just because of the number of people that were living day to day, paycheck to paycheck, because of the huge quantum of debt that people had compared to their earning capacity. And as you listen to the radio now, I, over the weekend I was listening to the radio, and they're talking about businesses that have already shut down. You know, significant mm-hmm. number of businesses have already already shut down, or. You know, you're hearing about Army and Navy, for example, that has closed and they're not going back. So there's a whole sector of population that have now lost their jobs permanently. So that, I think, will you will see continue to happen. I get a regular uh, email weekly about the insolvency filings in Canada. 
And so the number of big corporate filings has taken off huge. And so that's got an impact on jobs, people, uh, resources, you know, every time that happens. So, uh, I mean, I hate to be doom and gloom, but I think you will see a huge uptake in, in the numbers. But but it's it can be a fabulous solution for people. So it shouldn't be looked at as doom and gloom. I think it should be looked at as a positive solution to get a fresh start. And that's, we really see that happen when we're helping people. It is a fresh start and it gives people an ability to to just, you know, set the ground square. Here I am today, I'm at ground zero and I can take off from here as opposed to I'm always underground. Mm-hmm. So, so it is a positive. So what what advice, I guess, do you give to people who are sort of in that mode where maybe they're thinking about, uh, you know, having a, a insolvency, filing for insolvency, um, you know, as they go through this? Obviously, they're trialing. I, I hope everyone out there who is having concerns, right, is looking at those government supports, the CERB uh, uh, program or the Canada Emergency Wage Subsidy Program. Hopefully, people are trying to, uh, you know, get into those programs. But you mentioned, I mean, just that sheer volume of people that are doing that. So uh, what, what advice, I guess, do you have for people? people outside of applying for those uh, subsidy programs. Is there anything else that people can do? Well, I think by all means, certainly apply for all of those programs. Like anything you do qualify for, apply for. But if I can give one caution, we are seeing a lot of people that have gotten the CERB that shouldn't have and that the government will ask for that money to be repaid and the government has the ability to garnish you your Canada pension and your old age security. So that one's a concern, so don't get it if you don't qualify. That's my biggest advice. But um, if you, so if you can access any of those programs, I think do. If you can uh, do something like a mortgage deferral, if your lender will allow you to do that, you could explore that. But remember, you will pay it later. It's, it, you know, it's like nothing's for free. You will pay it later. So just do that if you can't afford to do it right now. You could reach out and speak to your creditors. I mean, you can always do that. And I always say, how do you know unless you ask? So you can call your credit card companies and see if you can defer the payments if they'll give you a bit of extra time. So so you can always do that. There's, you know, some solutions there. But do you have savings set aside? Have you, have you got an emergency fund? Do you have some RSPs you can tap into? Do you have tax-free savings accounts? Is there something that you could access? Uh, are you staying at home? I, I mean, I know in my own personal situation, I don't go out anymore. So you don't spend any money or you don't spend as much. Now, if if every bit of income you have just goes to provide food, housing, then that's not a solution. But if there's any discretionary spending, take a look at it. Maybe you don't need to be spending it. So if you do have a tax refund coming Whatever you do, get your tax returns filed. Like they have extended the deadline for tax return filing, but uh, that's really more for people that owe money. And I, if there's a refund coming, get that tax return filed. They're processing them very quickly, which is wonderful. Uh, but that's also the thing you need filed to get your child tax benefit and your um, GST updated. So make sure you get that filed. I can't say that enough. Uh, and finally, I think review your debt situation. Um, are you deferring those payments? What does your budget look like? Have you done a budget? Now more than anything, you need to be doing a budget. If you weren't before, you need to now. I, I can't stress that enough. Um, can you cancel things? Do you need your cable? Can you not insure your 
uh, car for work. I did that. I had to renew my insurance, and I I'm working at home. We are we're all working at home. I canceled mm-hmm. it for going to work. There's no point in spending money I don't need to spend. Um, be really frugal with shopping. I know I personally find when I'm going through the grocery store, I'm trying to go through quite quickly to avoid being in there. So there's no lingering. You don't spend a lot of extra time picking extra stuff off the shelves that you don't need to. So I think that's a a good thing to, it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing to just get what you need. And I think finally, if, if you don't know, now's a perfect time to reach out to us. We do free consultations. As I said, how do you know unless you ask? We don't mind just sitting, chatting with people about their situation. Uh, if we can offer some help, that's what we're here for. And at least then you know your options. And, and we might say hold for a little bit, wait for a bit. This would be a reason to wait for a bit. Or we might say, yeah, we think you should now would be the time to do it. It does make sense in your personal situation. But I think unless you ask somebody you don't know, so that's what I would suggest is reach out. Now, as we, uh, you know, you you talk a lot about there about just going through your financial situation, assessing it and and planning for what may or may not, uh, you know, be becoming your way in terms of uh, bills and and, and added expenses and things along those lines. How important do you think it is now that we're going into May and we've talked to, you know, our government has talked about, uh, you know, things are going to start to open up a little bit after the May long weekend. And uh, that hopefully means, you know, some of these people who did lose their jobs or had hours cut back will start to see some of that resume, maybe get at least a few more hours or or actually have their employment status reinstated. How important do you think it is for people when they go through these financial plans that that you're talking about to make sure that you maybe have a plan A, a plan B, or a plan C? Because it's hard to know exactly where things will head here in two, three, four weeks from now. That's a great question. And and, uh, it's something I purport all the time when you are doing a budget. I pretty much tell people do a budget based on the most conservative look at your life so what are you making for revenue what are you spending today and then i actually tell people to decrease your revenue by 10 percent and increase your expenses by 10 percent and that provides for a rainy day so if something goes wrong and if you do that that i think gives you a much more conservative look at your budget and what you can actually handle from there, you can do, Jeff, what you're suggesting, kind of the plan A, the plan B, the plan C. But at least you are looking at, A, the worst-case scenario, and you know what you can handle in that particular situation. Then if you do make more or you're able to spend less, it's just nothing but gravy. And you can use that extra gravy to maybe pay down debt, uh, get ahead, get some savings, save for that rainy day. As you've heard me talk before about you need four to six months of your income in the bank for a rainy day, that emergency. So you can do that kind of thing. So uh, a very good question, but I would always budget very conservatively. Well, Donna, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me today. really do appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, hopefully some people out there who maybe are feeling a little bit of the pinch will uh, hear this and and take some steps to to feel a little better about their financial situation. Appreciate the time. Thanks for having me, Jeff, as always. It was good to talk to you. That was BDO Senior Vice President Donna Mahalshin. Well, i got to take a quick break here, but coming up, I'm going to be joined by Acumen Law's Kyla Lee, so stick around, and there will be more Jeff Andrea Show right after this. The voice of your community, Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Here's Jeff Andreas. 
Welcome back to the Jeff Andrea Show, and thanks for being with me here on Monday. I hope you all had a lovely weekend and a lovely Mother's Day yesterday. Of course, many probably did not get to see their moms in person. By that time, where we will we will start to really expand our social circles is coming. Uh, double our bubble, as uh, Dr. Bonnie Henry has previously stated. And so, as we do that, it means, of course, that we can also start to see people who have been home for a while start to return to work. But what if you're uncomfortable going back to work? What are your rights as an employee? Well, I'm joined on the line now by my usual Monday guest. It's Acumen Laws, Kyla Lee. Kyla, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm not bad, thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for asking, and uh, always glad to have you back. So, Kyla, I wanted to start uh, just by asking about, you know, maybe your own feelings on the issue just uh, personally about returning to work. I mean, do you have any reservations about seeing an increase in activity? I assume, you know, you as a lawyer have the potential to really see a lot of people in a very short period of time. And as someone like yourself who actually had COVID-19 at one point, I assume that's something you probably don't want to go through again. I mean, just do you have any concerns yourself about seeing a bit of a ramp up here? I do, and it's something that, you know, at our office we're trying to manage, you know, bringing more people back into the office to work, um, you know, physically in the office, um, while still protecting everybody from any spread of any disease. And so I do have concerns, and, and we've had a lot of discussions at our office about, you know, strategies that we have to implement to try and protect people moving forward. So I guess what is the legal obligation then? I mean, you talked a little bit about what your office is doing, and I know every business owner or uh, employer out there will have to take steps to make sure that their customers and their employees are protected. But what, I guess, should people be aware of when they are trying to open their business back up? What are they legally going to be required to do? Well, as an employer, you have a legal obligation to provide a safe workplace for your employees. Um, and so, you know, in light of, of current events, that includes an obligation to make cleaning supplies and, and hygiene supplies readily available to your staff. Um, you know, have hand sanitizer um, and cleaning supplies available at high-touch locations, you know, photocopiers, fax machines, telephones. Make sure that you're wiping down or having somebody wipe down these things frequently during the day. Um, for our office, we have hand sanitizer when you come in the door at all of the um, high traffic locations. We've also provided masks, um, face masks to our employees to wear when they're in the office. So if you're not working in your office with the door closed, you should have a mask on while you're walking around the communal spaces in the office. And they're just a couple simple things that we can do to try and protect um, our staff from the spread of, of disease and that other employers should be doing. Now, I'm sure a lot of employers are going to be taking those steps and, and doing some similar actions to, to what you're doing at your office at Acumen Law. Um, but I guess what what uh, what about an employee is you know a little bit wary about coming back to work? They're they're seeing what's going on and they're seeing maybe people are getting a little bit too excited to get back out into the world and they have some reservations about you know how safe their workplace is actually, especially when we're talking about places that are going to be dealing with you know actual customers and you don't know where anyone has necessarily been and who they've been in contact with. Uh, what what are the rights of an employee? You know, if they get uh, concerned, obviously there is a right to refuse unsafe work, but um, you know what what else? What other protocols or steps should be uh, aware of in people's minds? if they are, you know, uncomfortable necessarily going back to work, should they have to? 
I think that if the employer is able to create a safe work environment, mitigate the risk, and it's it's a place of employment that's allowed to be opened back up again, um, the, you don't have the right to just refuse work. Um, if you have concerns, the appropriate course of, of conduct to take is to address your concerns with your manager or with your employer and say, look, this is why I'm uncomfortable, and try and be as specific as possible. Identify what specifically is making you uncomfortable and ask for some type of an accommodation, even provide suggestions about what types of accommodations would make you comfortable to return to work. So if it's, you know, that you aren't being provided with gloves or masks, ask for those things. If it's that you're going to have um, face-to-face interaction with members of the public, ask your employer to put up a a, a plexiglass shield between you and the other individual. Um, If you come to your employer with suggestions of things that they can do to accommodate your concerns and you lay them out, it's going to be a lot easier for you um, to get those accommodations and it's also going to make your position reasonable if the employer says I'm not going to do any of that and requires you to return to work. Yeah, so what what if the employer, I mean, hopefully most employers out there, and I'm sure well, majority of them would listen to their employees' concerns and try to take some steps to, to help ease their, their issues that they might have. But what if what if they do refuse to, uh, you know, help um, ob- oblige you in, in some of those things, right? They don't want to necessarily go out and buy a whole bunch of gloves and, and, and masks if they, uh, you know, just the extra cost, of course, that comes with it. Maybe they can't afford it, or maybe they're just, you know, wary about putting out that expense. And uh, what, what should an employee do that? in that case i mean i would assume they should turn to some maybe some legal advice and and, and maybe call work safe i guess in those sorts of circumstances what i guess what legal advice would you provide to people who just uh, have spoken to their employer and aren't getting the answers they want Absolutely. Step one would be to contact WorkSafeDC. WorkSafeDC is is well aware of the COVID-19 situation and and is, you know, responsible for the supervision of of the safety of the workplace. Um, Consulting with an employment lawyer is also a good good idea. Even just having an employment lawyer on your behalf write a letter to your employer to say, you know, these are our concerns and this is why you should take it seriously to remind an employer of their obligations can help. Um, And... I mean, if it if it's still nothing is going to change, then the employee could cease to come into work um, and could argue that they were constructively dismissed from their employment as a result of not being given reasonable accommodations to protect their safety. Well, hopefully there aren't too many of these situations that have to be dealt with out there, but uh, I think it's important for people to be aware of what their rights are. So I think this is a good conversation to have, and uh, yeah, hopefully some people out there are listening and they can um, you know, keep some of these steps in mind and just in case when they do go back to work after the long weekend. Hopefully there's a, a few of you out there that are getting set to do that, and now you have the tools that are in place or you're equipped with some ideas of, of how you can move forward in order to make sure you keep yourself safe, but also the people that you're serving, which is very important here as well. Um, Kyla, I did want to move on a little bit here and, and ask a couple of questions in response to legal aid services and, and free legal advice that people might be seeking here um, as we come out of this pandemic and we start to see the court uh, process resume a little bit. Do you think there is going to be a large demand for free legal advice and legal aid services coming out of this? There's going to be a huge demand for increased legal service provision on a pro bono or reduced cost basis as a result of this. Not only because we have now a ton of people, we have you know a record high employment rate. Um, we have a ton of people who don't have work, who don't have an income, um, people who have expenses that have been deferred, like mortgage payments that they're going to be struggling to afford. Um, and we also have lawyers who are uh, out of work or looking for work and um, might be more 
wary about providing pro bono or reduced cost services when they're struggling themselves to make ends meet. Um, So I think we are going to see an increase in the demand, which means that we need an increase in funding from government and a commitment to ensuring that people who are vulnerable as a result of the situation we're in have access to justice through a robust legal aid and free legal advice system. So would you, um, you know, have some concerns or maybe even be anticipating that there will be a, a lack of people available to provide, like, unless you see that increase in funding and, and sort of an incentive for some lawyers out there to take part in some of this free legal services or reduced cost legal services, I mean, do, do you see there being a, a gap that's going to come out of this and, and, you know, not enough people are going to be able to access those types of services? Unfortunately, I do. Lots of lawyers who were providing uh, services through legal aid um, prior to this have not, you know, have not had a significant amount of work as a result of the pandemic. They're struggling to make ends meet. Um, many of them are very senior members of the bar who are thinking, well, you know, now's a good time to just start my retirement. And we are going to see a gap as we see people leave the profession, take up alternative work, or not have the capacity to give the types of pro bono services they were giving before because they need to focus on the work that's paying the bills, paying the rent, and paying the staff. Um, And so I do think that we are going to have, at least for a short term, a gap in pro bono and and low-cost legal services. And everybody who's a lawyer who has the ability to fill that gap should be stepping up and should be doing more right now to, to address that. Well, I know we've seen it a lot in the, in the healthcare system, right? You're talking about how some lawyers are out there are maybe just thinking, well, I was getting close to my retirement, so maybe now that the, the, the amount of work I'm allowed to do has decreased so much, maybe I'll just start my retirement now. But when it comes to healthcare, we've seen the exact opposite of that, right? We've seen people in their 70s and 80s come out of retirement in order to help with uh, you know nursing and doctor services and, and making sure that their the healthcare system is, is, is fully equipped. And I, I wonder if that might be the case for some lawyers here as well. Do you think that that's possible, that we'll see some, some people who have been sitting on the shelf for a while say, well, you know, there, there's some help that's required here. Maybe I'll uh, get out of my chair and, and do some work. I would love to see that, and I would love to see law societies making it easier for lawyers to do that. In the same way that the College of Physicians and Surgeons and the Nursing College has made it easier for retired members to come back to help out, law societies should do that um, rather than paying uh, the full uh, fee that you would pay to practice law, which is several thousand dollars, which if you're retired might not be something you can afford, uh, a reduced fee to provide pro bono services during the period of time where we do have a gap in, in that need. Well, Kyla, really appreciate you coming on as always. And uh, yeah, lots of good information there. Hopefully some people are uh, listening and, and they got some advice that they might need. And hopefully we see, uh, you know, the, this potential gap that might come as a result of of COVID-19 when it comes to ability to deliver free legal services and and those who are seeking it. Hopefully we can see some of that gap shrink uh, as time moves on. Always appreciate you taking the time to come on and talk to me, Kyla. Thanks so much for doing this. Thanks for having me. Awesome. That was Acumen Laws, Kyla Lee. All right. Well, with that in mind, I wanted to get back to my conversation that I was having a little bit earlier. Not, not the same conversation. I was talking about job numbers with BDO debt uh, services here earlier in the show. We were talking about making that financial plan for those who might have some concerns when it comes to a lack of employment or, or reduced hours, things along those lines. Of course, what steps you should take to make sure that you are financially secure. Well, what about, uh, you know, how are we going to rebound from this a little bit? Well, I'm going to be talking with the BC Business Council after the break about those job numbers and, and some of the losses that we saw 264,000 jobs lost in British Columbia in April just last month that follows the loss of 132,000 jobs in March 
That's a pretty significant number. Well, we'll talk more about that with Ken Peacock after this, so please stick around, and the Jeff Andrea Show will be right back. Your opinion. Call or text 250-374-5345. Find us on Facebook or on Twitter at Radio NL News. This is Jeff Andreas on RadioNL.com. Welcome back to the Jeff Andreas Show. Thanks for being here with me on Monday. Now, earlier in the show, I spoke about the job losses that we've seen here in B.C. and really across Canada and what people can do if they're perhaps feeling financially insecure. But let's get back into the numbers here a little bit more. And in April, uh, B.C. employment plunged by 264,000 jobs. I'm joined on the line now by the Business Council of B.C.'s Chief Economist, Ken Peacock. Ken, how are you doing here today? I'm doing all right. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, thanks so much for taking the time to come on. So, uh, like I was saying, yeah, BC saw 264,000 jobs lost in April. That follows 132,000 jobs that were lost in March. So almost 400,000 jobs have been lost in BC in the past couple of months. I guess as you kind of been watching this whole pandemic play out, were, were these numbers at all shocking to you when you heard them last week? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. So as we watched this play out, we looked at the March employment numbers and i don't want to get into too much detail but but just so your listeners know stats statistics canada did that survey kind of in the, the latter part of march and that's the same time we saw sort of the consumer faces facing businesses be shut down so we were confident that the march survey wasn't going to capture all the job losses thus we expected a bigger number in april i was sort of expecting a somewhat bigger number i was surprised when the job loss number doubled between march and april taking it up to a two months total of four hundred thousand, as you indicated it, it was a bit surprising it, it's almost breathtaking takes your breath away um and and so as as you at the bc business council were sort of analyzing some of this data was there anything that you noticed in terms of trends like was there any one particular you know age group or sector that seemed to be more hard hit than others well, that's uh, sure. There, there are. There's, I mean, there's many dimensions to speak about. I, I you know, it's. Uh, I think these numbers are hard for people to comprehend. I, you know, the the four hundred thousand translates into a fifteen percent decline. That's a huge downward movement when you consider a good year of job growth is two two and a half percent. Like if we achieve that on a, on a regular year, that's like okay, that's a respectable increase. So when you see a 15% decline in two months, it's huge. That is equates to 14 years uh, of job growth in BC uh, evaporating in, in two months. Uh, and if you look at the young people in particular, to answer your question a little more directly, that age cohort between 15 and 24 years of age has been especially hard hit. Um, it, it's a smaller group because it's only a 10, 10-year period between 15 and 24 uh, years of age. But if you do that same sort of um, how many years of lost job growth do we have uh, analysis that I was just referring to a moment ago for the overall employment picture. If you just look at the 15 to 25 year age category, employment is now sitting for that group at its lowest level on record. And the consistent data series goes back to 1976. So really problematic for them. That group, the unemployment rate also sits at 25% for 15 to 25-year-olds, 25 25-year-olds. 
That's crazy. When you're talking about 14 years of job growth has basically been evaporated in a matter of two months. That's staggering when you put it in, in those terms. I guess as we're into May here and, and, you know, we're talking about some restart of the economy, even if it is, uh, you know, in, in small baby steps that we're going to be taking, um, which I would imagine things are going to look a little better. Do you think we'll see some recovery as we do these numbers again um, in June? Yeah, I'm glad we had time to get to this because I do. June might be a bit early, but we are going to see employment numbers start to move up again and move up in sizable increments and sizable amounts. But again, the context is 400,000 lost jobs. So even if we regain half, we're still really, really uh, underwater. And and you know, we just I just wrote up a blog on this subject, and I didn't really know how to concluded or wrap it up because you know i I think we are going to see a rebound in employment but at the same time the reopening is going to be mixed consumer confidence it's not clear how confident people are going to be heading back out Uh, the restaurant sector is going to have kind of restrictions on how open you know 50 percent capacity kind of thing and then the tourism and air travel industry is, is going to remain hard hard hit so the size of the rebound is difficult, but but again, just this context or perspective, we lost 400,000 jobs. In the financial crisis, the 2008-2009 Great Recession, uh, employment in BC fell 70,000 over a nine-month period. We're looking at 400,000 over a two-month period. So, e- so even if we got back you know, 300,000 really, really optimistically, it took four years to recover jobs in the great uh, recession, the financial crisis. So, you know, even even if we have a strong rebound, I think we're going to be digging ourselves out of a much deeper hole than we saw in the great financial crisis. So we are looking at several years, perhaps multi-multi years, for employment to uh, gradually recover here in BC. And the story is the same right across Canada. Yeah. Uh, and, and one of the things, too, I think when we're talking just about what has been lost here in the last couple of months for job numbers, it doesn't really take into account the number of people who have just seen hours like significantly reduced or they might still have some form of employment, but they're not really going into work. So it doesn't necessarily even capture all that data when we're just talking about strict job losses. Um, and as we start to, you know, ramp things back up, uh, even even if it does go in a very slow process, some of those jobs that uh, weren't necessarily counted as being lost, I think, are the ones that we're going to start to see come back first so it really is going to be a very very slow inching of 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 regaining some of these uh, statistics that's a, no, that's a very good point on the underutilization of workers that aren't being captured in these captured in these job loss unemployment numbers. Yeah, it's a very good point, it, it, and it just speaks further to, to the likelihood that we're going to see a slower recovery rather than a big snap, just a more moderate snap. Back. All right, Ken. Well, I got to say, uh, you know, just thanks so much for taking the time to come on. I, I really appreciate you coming on and, and speaking to some of these numbers. They're just they're they're crazy to look at when you put them right in front of you. And you know, yeah, I hear them sometimes. I was hearing them last week and it, it sort of blew my mind but as I started to really read them and, and start to break it down by month by month and then when you talk about how this compares to just some some historical data it, it really is shocking but uh, I really appreciate the, taking the time to come on and, and speak to some of this thank you so much thanks uh, thanks happy to Jeff hopefully we got a little bit better news on a subsequent uh, job report we'll I, I hope so and I hope we can come back on it and talk about it then so thanks so much All right, that's Ken Peacock, the uh, chief economist with the BC Business Council. Well, 
on that note, it's about time for me to wrap things up here today. So I want to thank all my guests for joining me. And of course, a big thank you to all of you for listening. And remember, whether you join me for a short while or a long while, just know that I enjoyed our time while it lasted. Enjoy the rest of your Monday, and I'll be back here tomorrow at noon.